0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Hi and hello and welcome back. We're here for the rest of our afternoon session at the Oklahoma Council of the Blind Convention. I am Jay Dowdna, and I am going to be talking about the next panel that's coming up. It takes a village. This is a panel featuring a lot of people, um, but Mr. Russell Rowland is our successful client on this team. Russell's in Muskogee, and we should have Christine, Madam. Where? Tulsa, not Muskogee. Tulsa, Tulsa. okay. And, and Brad, Brad Wiggins. I guess the the idea here with this is that we're going to have. Mr. Russell, talk a little bit here at first about what he was doing and and uh, how he got help from the agency and everything, and what's what was happening. So go ahead, Brad, or um, go ahead, Russell.
2: Yeah.
3: I grew up in a small town called Shoto, Oklahoma, and I attended the uh, school for the blind. And I, I knew kind of from day one that a lot of my interests. Uh, you know, I knew I was college bound, but I really felt, you know, that I I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ready. I, you know, I, the school certainly got me ready, but, you know, with all of us, I think we struggle for, uh, I guess you might say a psychological acceptance of blindness, uh, you know, so I was struggling with that. So when I got out, I, I felt okay, but I, I, you know, but I went to Lions World Services for the Blind and, um, you know, spent two months there and went on to, went on to college. And, you know, one of the things they talked about, you know, unfortunately it's not when you will be discriminated or it's not, uh, when you'll be discriminated against as if you will be discriminated against. And, you know, whenever I came on the scene at NSU, you know, uh, the university was like, well, you're, you're not going to make it. The last blind person that came here made a lot of unreasonable requests. And I kind of looked at it as a declaration of war, uh in that regard you know i was kind of like well why why are you saying that just because of one one blind person other blind person's not going to make it uh so i came on the scene and uh i think that uh, harbored a distrust and maybe even a just a strong dislike of the sighted world itself uh so I, I came on the scene, and uh, you know I had my resources like Learning Out, al- uh, Learning Ally, and Bookshare. But one of the things that I had to conquer was uh, Blackboard. And so Paul uh, Miller came down and tried to help me with that. And then Robert Miller also assisted with that. He's the uh, assistive technology instructor for the for the school for the blind a big help and one of my big mentors uh but you know as i progressed um you know i was i was studying to be a history major i wanted it wanted to be either a professor or a historian of some kind and i got through a lot of my basic courses but you know i encountered a professor who uh, you know wasn't real crazy about giving me the stuff in an accessible format so i'd have to go and print the powerpoints off and scan them with open books i had open book for that and, Uh, So I switched from history to Spanish. My goal then was to go and take over the teaching position after the Spanish instructor at the time, and and I had a, a good time. I, I I you know had everything I needed, and from learning Ally, and then my professor was sending me stuff in, in word documents. And I had my Braille Sense. It was a Braille Sense U2 uh, Mini at the time. Um, I was using a Braille Note Apex at the time, uh, but it wasn't cutting it, so I got a Braille Sense, and and that did it for a while. But I noticed that as I got into the upper courses, I, I would need uh, Braille books instead of audio, and we all know that that's going to be a problem and you know i i had thought that through my my leaps and bounds you know i was always a good student had good grades professors uh said good things about me I, i thought that surely i had gained the the trust of the university to get me at least a at least my spanish braille books in my upper level courses but that didn't happen so i switched to counseling and i found the counseling environment to be very uh very helpful um you know um you know, they're, you know, as counselors, we're supposed to be open and, and willing to uh, meet our clients where they are and, and try to value them, try to find that one thing that we can value about them. Um, you know, so uh, I, I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in counseling and I went on to get a master's degree in counseling. Um I am currently under supervision for my LADC and I'm working to get under supervision again for my LPC. So I'm going to be duly licensed I'll not only work in addiction, but I'll work in the mental health field currently working for 12 and 12 incorporated in Tulsa. Uh, I guess the proudest moment, the two proudest moments that I can remember uh, were my, my graduation with my bachelor's, uh, a couple of teachers from the school for the blind came down and witnessed that. That was a big deal. And then, uh, About a semester before I graduated with my master's, I'd gotten uh, my uh, dog guide from the seeing eye, and he was the first dog guide to participate in an NSU graduation, so that was a big deal. I think that the one thing that that I want to stress that Belinda and Brad have uh, versus uh, a lot of the counselors is they have contact with us. uh, So they enter into uh, our world. They understand our struggles uh, when they meet with us uh, and they see us as humans. Uh, One of my favorite uh, counselors whose theory i practice is carl rogers Uh, he founded a person-centered therapy uh, um, and the premise of person-centered therapy is that you have unconditional positive regard for your clients you have empathy for your clients and you genuinely show that you want to help the client you want to enter into their world so you're going to dig and dig and dig and find that one thing uh for the client you know, that you can value about the client. And I think that's where the counselors who are working, I think that's where there's a disconnect. I, I feel the counselors need to understand that we're just not a number on a caseload. We're just as human. We have struggles uh, when entering into university. I, I I think we are certainly making leaps and bounds in regard to our, our civil rights as blind people. I think that you know, technologically, things are getting better for us, but I think there is still a struggle. You know, I I I think that there's a statistic out there that says, and I, I could be uh, inaccurate about that, that only 20 percent of blind people use Bra- uh, read Braille these days, and there there are you know understandable reasons for that, but I think we need to increase that. Uh, Braille is is very valuable. I use it every day um, in my job when I'm doing groups, I have notes on, uh, in Braille. And then, uh, one of the documents that I, I have to do is an assessment that's not accessible, not very accessible with JAWS. And I had to make a, a Braille version of that so I could do that and then put it into the computer. But again, I, I would encourage all the, you know, any counselors that are listening to this, you know, see your clients as, a, as, a. As humans, see them as humans, try to understand what they're struggling with, check in with them. also uh, my time at the Carroll Center for the Blind was, was very helpful. I, you know, gained a further psychological acceptance of blindness. I bettered my skills and things of that nature. So, you know, I'm living uh, on my own right now. I've got a job and everything. And uh, but I would also, you know, encourage DRS to make people aware of their post-employment services. And if they, you know, understand kind of the struggle to stay employed, you know what we're facing as, as uh, blind people when we're looking for jobs and how hard it is. You know, it's it's a struggle when it comes to the counseling field. You know, all the documentation you have to do and figuring out ways around it if it's not accessible with jaws, things like that. That's my only issue with DRS is just seeing us as human. Those that are outside of the immediate contact and then just making us aware of what services we do have, basically. That's that's
1: all I got to say, I guess. That's really um, it's a great start and a very good example of um, what someone can do if they really want to apply themselves. Congratulations, Russell, on all your efforts. That's uh, (laughs) that's great. I'll be anxious to talk to you more later about other things you encountered. Brad did you have anything you wanted to uh, talk about what you did to get this going we have it takes a village Christy you and Brad can sort of talk about how it is you worked with um with Russell on, on what you did
0: I'm a orientation and mobility specialist and I came in to work with Russ um I believe it was early in 2019 um and, and Russ actually lives in a part of the state that I don't typically cover. So I, I, came in to work with him and prior to me working with him, Russell had been working with a number of different uh, O and M instructors. And in fact, I believe at the time he was in the, he was already in the process of, of getting his guide dog. So I, I think a big part of working with a client as, as a team is, just the need to to really be flexible uh because and i i commend russell for his um his patience (laughs) i i mean it it can't be easy working with with so many different professionals because i mean i know for example as a mobility instructor we all have we all have our different strengths but we also have all have our different personalities and the ways that we want to teach things so um, you know, as an instructor, I think probably one of the most important things for me is my my communication with my clients, so that I know what it is that they need and desire. You know, because it, it's not about me. I, you know, I'm I'm a tool for Russell to use to improve himself and to to reach the goals that he wants to reach. Um, and so, just being flexible with the client and, and listening to them and and finding out what it is that they need as an individual to succeed.
3: Well, and as I recall, I had been in the in the guide dog process, and I I guess I overshot it a bit. I think I applied to like seven schools and should have cut it down to four. But I think there were points at which Brad, you had to come down and say, okay, well let's let's use this route. And I don't know if you were videoed any other routes. There were a couple that I needed videos for, but we went over a couple of routes that I could use for video yeah. at the time.
0: So. And, you know, one of the reasons that that Russ or uh, probably in in my estimation, the biggest reason that Russ has been successful is his uh, uh, just his desire to succeed. He uh, he that really impressed me working with Russ. He he pushes himself. You know, I I can remember there were times working with him that, you know, in, in my estimation, as somebody who's cited, there were times that there were things that i discouraged russ from doing because i i didn't feel they were safe but he was always pushing himself and wanting to do things and you know to be successful you know especially when you have so many challenges um you really do have to be willing to do whatever it takes to overcome those obstacles
4: that's true i on the scene to work with russell and he was already employed um his previous counselor had retired um that was barbara clinkenbeard and um russell's been around actually longer than I've been with the agency. He's been here since 2007. When I saw the name of the the piece that we were doing, It Takes a Village, I I was out of curiosity looking back through Russell's case. And I believe there were five different counselors, numerous O&M, all of the staff at uh, OSB that have worked with him, Um, our AT department, Extensively, uh, because of all of the college classes and different struggles that he had, it looked like there were a lot of things they had to overcome. I was I was really impressed when I met with Russell. He was already on the job. Him and his guide dog were just already at it and and going on. Um, basically, as a counselor, we get to. Have the the initial contact with the client and their family. We we inform them of all of our different services that we can do. We try to hook everybody up with the right staff that we have to to get it or to find out about you know how working affects their their you know um, benefits, medical benefits, different things like that. It sounds to me
1: like communication is very important oh. in this whole game.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. and yes. And there's just so many moving pieces and so many uh, people that are involved to make it work. One person surely couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, they... All right, well, we've we've amassed a pretty good panel here and a a very good subject to talk about (laughs) for this whole thing. Does anybody have a question at this point?
2: This is Elaine, and I have a question. Russell, when did you graduate from, from high school? 2011.
1: 2011,
2: Okay. Did you ever go through the ABLE program? Yes. I knew it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, my gosh, you sound so familiar when I was talking to you the other day, and I kept thinking, I wonder. So I have a question, Russell, when you were going through college and you were changing from one degree program to another degree program and i sympathize with you on that one because i did the same thing i went into college thinking i was going to do one thing and then i switched to a different one in fact i think i told my counselor of my switch when they called me after i'd gotten a job of course he knew it before but he but he was putting me down for something else. When you were going through those transitions from one to another, how did that affect you and how you were working with a counselor at that time?
3: I don't know that it affected me working with a counselor. I think it was more the, I think there was a lot of, a lot of anger uh, in a couple of cases. I felt that the disability services department, the thing that I was upset by was their lack of willingness to assist. Um, You know, my thought process at the time was: surely by now, I've you know jumped through so many hoops. I've proven myself. Surely by now, they see that I'm not here to play the blind card. You might say Mm -hmm. Um, that was that was my main issue at the time. Uh, I can remember traveling. uh, I went to study abroad in Spain, and they tried to decline me from doing that because I was blind. Mm. And the head of the department stepped up and said, "No, that's not." That's not going to happen he's going to Spain very good. I found the counseling program you know most receptive, and again I, I just want to go back to the theorists that I mentioned you know I would encourage anybody to read any of his work, whether it's you know listening to his lectures on YouTube you know um, he does a lot of he has a lot of lectures on the, on there uh, reading his books uh, on becoming a person, freedom to learn a way of being things of that nature.
2: Can you give me his name again?
3: Carl Rogers. Okay, and his theory is person-centered therapy. Oh, uh,
2: another thing. Since we don't have Belinda with us, um, talking about rehab teaching, how did the rehab teacher work with you? We kind of worked on where my
3: skills were and my comfort, comfort level. I mean, I knew there were certain things that I wasn't going to be comfortable with, you know, the stovetop and things like that. And just working within those parameters and just feeling comfortable. You know, I think the key thing that I remember from the ABLE program and from OSB was, well, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong if, you're, if you struggle with this. You know, and our, our goal is to meet you where you are and make sure that you can survive.
2: Yes, yeah, survive is
5: the key. However, yeah. you have to do it. So, okay, I, very good, Russell. This is Mrs. Thomas from yeah. OSB, and I want to tell those who do not know, Russell has come so far. Um, I am so very proud of you because I know. Thinking way back to before you graduated, that you had to endure a lot of things that were probably pretty difficult for you to hear um, from from uh, various staff. And, and there were people who really worried about, um, you know, were you going to have the strength that it was going to take to endure all the constructive criticism of attending college? And, you know, I'm just totally amazed. I did not realize that you had gone into three different uh, majors of study. And I want to tell you and I want to tell these people listening that you really started from from um, a pretty big bottom hole, and you clawed your way out. And I am so proud of you for doing for doing that. And I doubt that you remember this, but when um, you were at OSB, and we all used to gang up in my office after lunchtime um, in the clinic, my little bitty office, we talked about. Um, OCB, and I believe that I may have invited you to attend an OCB convention with with your mom when you were pretty young. Do you remember? Vaguely, vaguely. <laughs> well, vaguely is better than nothing. <laughs> Well, I just want everyone to realize that, that you um, have demonstrated a, an awful lot of determination. And uh, gosh, I'm, I'm proud of you. It just gave me chill bumps sitting here in my little home office listening to you speak and, and uh, knowing how many uh, hurdles you've overcome. And I'm, I'm really pleased to know that you have a dog. I did not know that.
3: Another uh, text that I want to quote. It's it, it's a text that's criticized in this day and age, but I really, uh, I really feel that it, if, if, after reading it, uh, uh, it helped me a lot. It was blindness what it is, what it does, and how to live with it? I know again, it's it's a, a text that's somewhat criticized. Uh, you know, written in 1961. Uh, obviously, uh, Doctor Thomas Carroll, or Father Thomas Carroll, I should say. But again, I I. You know, again, I know it's a, it's a it's a controversial text, a criticized text, but I found it helpful uh, in, in regard
5: to... Repeat it again, Russ, what did you say?
3: Blindness, what it is, what it does, and how to live with it. Uh, it was written okay. by Father Thomas Carroll in 1961. Okay. It's on Bard, it's on Bookshare. I, again, uh, somewhat... A somewhat controversial text i mean the main criticism it gets it's its age but I, I feel that it addresses again psychological concepts of accepting blindness i think one thing that we can all agree on is you know depending on when a person goes blind uh, it, it determines you know there's the struggles that they deal with in regard to their psychological acceptance it determines you know how you know where where is their pinnacle you know where do they? How far do they go? And and I, I would just encourage again everybody. You know, remember the the philosophy of Carl Rogers. You know, meeting somebody where they are, uh, trying to understand their world, enter, entering their world. Uh, you know and seeing things through their eyes uh you know um and again i you know jane you can expand on this i, I know osb gets some criticism but i can say uh people that i remember from there uh lacy goins uh, uh robert and faye miller uh, uh renee miller uh, dr richard larson uh gene mcintosh uh people of those natures uh, even yourself jane uh, big influences uh, big help uh dealt with me through many of my struggles uh, a lot of anger uh, things of that nature uh, you know so if, if you just want to speak on that a little bit but I, I would just encourage everybody to support the school in any way whether that's you know leaving it open as an option uh, you know i haven't been back there in about uh, six years uh but the last time i was back there just a great place uh, the staff are you know more than willing to assist a person you know where they are in my opinion <laughs> but I think it comes down to a person's choice. Uh, you know, are they going to choose to overcome blindness? Uh, cause we all know blindness uh, can be a tough road. Um, so, uh, you know, just keep, keep OSB is, is, you know, it does a lot. And again, it gets some criticism, you know, but it does a lot in my opinion.
6: Russell, this is Vicki go lightly. Um, OCB has, from everything I know has always been a, a- a spokesperson a proponent of the school for the blind i didn't go there myself and that's probably why i had some struggles even though i was blind since birth it took me till i was about 40 50 to really accept psychologically my blindness so everybody's journey is different and i'm going to read some of the books that um those two books you suggested I worked at a university for several years, and I worked with a lot of college students uh, from freshmen to seniors, and um, a good portion of them changed their major several times before they finally decided what they want to do with their lives. So you are not alone in that. I understand the frustrations that you that you must have gone through, but I will tell you that Uh, You are not alone when you're 18 years old or 19 years old trying to figure out what you're going to major in for the rest of your life. So they're kind of typical.
2: But I do commend you for all the hard work because I went through it, and it is hard work. This is Elaine, and I have a question. Russell, looking back on everything that you have done, is there anything you would do different?
3: Um, I guess I would have paid attention more on ILS, in ILS, in my opinion. Um, again, I, I was not at a, again a, not at a good place psychologically, and it took years to break through. Uh, you know, I Shane could talk about that, but you know, I think we'll leave, I think we'll leave it alone. But I, I. I I wish I, I wish I had paid attention. You know, I've gotten better. You know, the, the Carroll Center helps uh, what was Lions World at the time, World Services for the Blind. Now they helped. Uh, you know, I would encourage, again, DRS to, you know, really, um, you know, really, if, if a client requests to go to either of those programs or whether it's the Colorado Center for the Blind or the Louisiana Center for the Blind, you know, you know take them up on that. Give them that shot. Uh, because again, you know, especially to the counselors, I think, There needs to be a greater understanding of the struggles that we as blind people have. And again, you know, you have the two different, the two major political organization, the philosophical differences and their ways of uh, the psychological acceptance again. But I, I I would, again, just talk about how, you know, just going to a center and being around other blind people and maybe somebody says something where they break through. And I, I know at the Carroll Center, that was the place where I kind of broke through and started to work through a lot of my anger and, you know, express the. The frustration at the discrimination that i faced and really kind of come into my own as a blind person
7: russell i want to know did you have how how did the the college campus accept your guide dog when you started there with it
3: i found that they accepted it very well um i mean nobody nobody had an issue with it uh, it was after i left when i was seeking housing that that the issues began
8: Mm-hmm
7: i'm so proud of you um i'm old so i've lived through my whole life as a visually impaired person and i understand the struggles and um
3: what was your second question
7: i don't remember <laughs> the senioritis set in anyway thank you so much for allowing me to ask that uh,
1: this is jay i have a question um i'm wondering uh, about your trip to spain did you go and how did that go and did you have the dog then Uh, I was a cane user at the time. So Ah.
3: Spain, Europe much much more progressive than the United States, in my opinion. How so? Well, the acceptance of blindness, um, uh, better public transportation, uh, braille signage everywhere – uh, again, you know, understand uh, one of the people that I didn't mention was Phil Pack, a Spanish instructor uh, for the School for the Blind for many years, taught us Braille. If I hadn't have had Braille, and again, that, that's, that's why I push it so much, if I hadn't have had Braille, I wouldn't have been able to survive as a Spanish student. Uh, and, and one of the things that I tried to push with the university was, you know, look, you know, whenever you learn a foreign language, you have to see it, quote unquote. And my my argument at the time, and it was an argument that it didn't accept, was you have to, you know, you have these books and audio, and I'm trying to explain. Look, I have to be able to read this. I have to be able to physically read this in order right. to spell things. Uh, yeah,
1: seeing it with your fingers, right
3: yeah um but mm-hmm. you know again i i felt uh, more accepted uh they, they were just it was more open uh more more
1: openness uh, more acceptance uh, uh how again, long were pre- you there two weeks mm. wow and you got to travel on the public transportation and uh, i did yes different things
6: mm. Russell, did you know, I'm sure you did, that the American Council of the Blind has a special interest group called the Braille Re- Revival League? And, no, I didn't, actually. And I'm thinking, this is Vicki again, uh, you're inspiring me just by your comments that just maybe we might need to, uh, to start our own Braille Revival League. Well, I mean, look, I,
3: I have a Learning Ally membership. I have a Bookshare membership. Uh, You know, we all do. We have Bard, we have Audible, whatever it is, but you know, Braille, I mean, I I use it every day. I, I, like I said, I had to, I had to make a Braille version of an assessment that I have to do. I write my group notes, uh, my group topics in Braille. Um, I keep notes on clients that way. Um, You know, I have, I mean, we all have iPhones, but I'm, I'm kind of a note taker guy. I, I, Grew up in the uh, uh. to some degree in the Braille Light era, uh, the the Braille Note Empower era. So you know, before the iPhone came along, you know we were paying four hundred dollars for uh, yeah. mobile speaker <laughs> talks on a phone.
1: Uh, hey, you know, uh, the the Braille Revival League is an affiliate of ACB, and it, it it got its name. Floyd Cargill was one of the founders. It got his name, for, you know, BRL, the the Braille symbol for. Braille, um, so that's how the Braille Revival League got started, and uh, it's it's a pretty active affiliate. So we could send you some information about that, at least to know about it.
3: Yeah, certainly. And again, uh, one of the books that I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend again is see Michael Miller's uh, uh, biography of Louis Braille. I mean, if you study the struggle uh-huh. that, that Louis Braille had to deal with uh, in order for its adoption, uh, you know, big uh-huh. deal. Um, I would also recommend, you know, people of vision, the the history of the ACB that was written in 01, a big deal, you know, studying the civil rights movement. I mean, we hear about a lot of the civil, uh, civil rights movements in history, but, you know, I think nobody really understands the struggle that that we blind people had for civil rights and that we're still working towards. I mean, again, leaps and bounds have been made, you know, but I, I think we're still struggling for full acceptance, um you know, and a full understanding of, of blindness and how we can contribute to society.
6: Well, Russell, it's so wonderful to see you as a young person so engaged in Braille. and Amen. So engaged in advocacy and... Um, I, I don't know. Um, I will send you an, an email, but I'm on the Oklahoma rehabilitation council, which is, uh, um, the council for the department of rehabilitation services. And I was going to do a, a little bit of an adv- advocacy training. I may be calling you to do it in my stead. I'm very impressed. Well,
3: again, I, I think, I think Jane can attest to this, uh, as someone who worked at OSB, but I mean, we were using books, uh, from from uh, you know the '90s uh, to work f- until we got you know braille books uh, in updated editions. Uh, like I say, you know I I I fully support things like Learning Ally and Bookshare. But Absolutely. you know whenever you whenever you get out into the world, you know and choose to go to college. I mean it's I, I would say that braille was one of the key elements that helped me. I wrote every paper that I I, I wrote. Um, you know I, I I have an essay that was published in a in a comp a comp textbook that I wrote. Um, uh, a controversial essay that I wrote, wrote it completely in Braille. Uh, I mean braille is just so so uh, important.
7: Um, the key to success as well as the key to literacy. Now I do remember my other question. It was actually for I think was Brad, the mobility instructor. when you, um worked with russell had you ever worked with a guide dog team before and did you have any prior training on how to work with the guide dog team
0: no russ was my first uh my first guide dog user um i'm i'm a fairly new instructor i i started working for the agency in 2017 uh and got my degree in 2016. um so i i had had exposure you know the the national conferences that we go to a, a lot of times uh we'll be able to interact with uh the guide dog schools um you know as part of my degree program we we did spend uh we spent a weekend visiting the the seeing eye um but it it was really interesting working with with russell because not only was it my first uh Guide dog client uh, experience, but it was such a unique experience working on a university campus. Um, I was the one that that went through the graduation preparation process with with Russell, uh, and it, it was so interesting to <laughs> to just um, to be able to observe the responses from from the people that were planning uh, the preparation for the graduation and. I I would add that, you know, one of the things I was thinking about um, how as professionals, one one of the things that we can do to to help our clients be successful is to be a support for them. Um, I I can remember Russell talking to me about different situations where he felt like maybe the university was being hesitant about accepting the guide dog or about accepting something that he wanted to do. And, you know, so he was able to discuss that with me. And, you know, we, we're kind of an outlet for for the client to be able to decide whether their requests are, you know, whether they're reasonable. Um, what and, what and were the then,
3: situations, Brad? I'm not recalling. I remember the guide dog thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember uh, we didn't end up actually needing to do it. But at one point you had mentioned that I think one of your classes – uh, was hesitant about the, they were concerned about the the dog having, if the dog had poor behavior in the classroom and, and they weren't sure that they wanted to allow the dog. And you, you would talk to me about going to, to see somebody at the university about making sure that they were going to allow that. Um, the, the other issue that I remember was when we were, we were the, the day before graduation, uh, when they had the prep day, the, the person that was planning the, the whole event, she seemed to be a bit impatient with, with what we were needing to do to, to properly, you know, make sure you were prepared for it. And, you know, I, I mean, to be fair to them, I, I mean, this was their first experience with it as well. But I, I can only imagine if, you know, if Russ had to confront all of these things alone, how uncomfortable he might feel. Having to advocate for himself without somebody else, you know, being there to say, yeah, you know, this is completely understandable that you want to do it this way and and you've got a right to to make these requests. And, you know, without without, you know, it it doesn't even necessarily have to be a professional, but a a close friend even that can back the person up to be able to make requests that, that they need that are You know, that that are not typical for most students. I can just make sure. Go ahead, Russ.
3: Well, I can say, you know, um, one of the one of the historical figures that I kind of took my way of communicating with was, you know, MLK, Martin Luther King. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a Malcolm X kind of guy. I wasn't a demand my rights kind of guy. I wasn't wasn't real, real militant. Um, You know, I knew when to stand up and I knew when to kind of, you know, ease back and kind of work within your within what you were given. You know what I'm saying? And, and Brad Brad was kind of the guy, Brad and Belinda were kind of the people that i vented with a little bit, you know, um, kind of approached, you know, hey, let, let's put it this way. Big support, as I remember, especially on the guide dog thing.
7: Well, thank you for that. I did want to just say maybe some of you know, but some of the guide dog schools are now doing um, on site with at the school mobility instruction of how to work with guide dog teams, And so it's a great thing for some of the mobility instructors to take a class like that, because it does give you the little more insight in how the guide dog team works and what, how you can help your clients. Now, thank you for lying. Well, and and
3: then I would, I would say, you know, when you bring a when you bring a guide dog into a, into a job site, I I think to me, it breaks down a little bit of breaks down the barrier a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I know for me, um, You know, as a counselor, I have had instances where my guide dog has helped me build rapport with clients because I I work with addicts. The key element is rapport. So,
8: okay. Well, so hey, Russ, it's Julie Bailey. Gotcha. And um, I started with Russ as a rehab teacher many years ago and worked with him along through his. Um, college stuff and um, his trip to Spain and all of that stuff that was going on with him and hearing um, now how well he's doing in his job is fantastic to me Um, and Going to the Carroll Center was a big talk to Russ about that. And his professors really felt like it would do him some good. And I did as well. So um, I don't know if he knows that, but I really pushed for him to be able to do that. So I'm glad he was able to. The, the,
3: the reason the Carroll Center was pushed is I was I, I was really struggling, again, with the psychological acceptance. I Exactly. You know, I, 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 the anger had ebbed a little bit, but there was still just this, uh, I don't know, I I can't really find words for it, you know. um,
8: I'm glad that you were able to go, and I'm glad that it, it really turned out well for you, and as everyone else is saying, um, I'm very proud that you stuck everything out, because, I do know about some of the struggles that you were confronted with and that you muddled through um, sometimes with help and sometimes on your own. So um, again, I'm very proud of you for the job that you're doing now and um, congratulations.
3: So another theorist, another psychological theorist Counseling theorist that I'm going to mention um, is Albert Ellis. Founded a theory that I use a little bit: rational emotive behavior therapy. A couple of his books that I'm going to recommend: um, the book entitled "Anger." Um, written in 1977, updated in 2006, uh, and then "How to Control Your Anger Before It Controls You." And Ellis's theory, the premise of his theory is that you know you you change your internal dialogue. You can have a statement, you know, "I'm disappointed with this," but the way you need to change your dialogue, your internal dialogue, is you know, "I'm I'm upset by this," or "I'm upset that I can't do this." But instead of saying, "And because," I can't do this or because I'm upset by this. It's horrible. It's changing it to, well, it's not so bad. Let's, let's, uh, let's try to find out ways of changing that internal dialogue. And I, I think that was the biggest thing that I struggled with uh, changing the, changing the internal dialogue from negative self-talk to positive self-talk, uh, big, big thing. So I would recommend a lot of his books. So I know all of his books are on Bookshare and Learning Ally. A few are on Audible, uh, bard only has his his main text which is a, a guide to rational living but another theorist uh, that that was a heavily heavily influenced in, in changing my my internal dialogue
9: uh russ great presentation and i uh, i definitely understand and can empathize with the the frustration on what you're going through um and the anger as well and one of the things in my new journey into blindness that I came to realize through um, a course that I actually took through Hadley um, was recognizing the grief cycle okay. that I was going through with my vision loss. And, and once I got through and was able to understand all the cycles that I was going through and, and putting it on the scale that yes, it's a grief cycle, and it will, there will be times the anger pops up. There will be times of um, the emotion of sadness and, and tears and, uh, and all of that stuff. But then once my, my brain kind of kicked in and cognitively I thought it's going to be okay because this is just part of the grief cycle. This is just part of the, the journey of going blind. And I think once I recognized all of that. Um, any time those type of emotions or whatever popped up, I was able to handle them a lot more. And I don't, you know, considering what you were sharing as you were younger and going through school and early years of college, you know, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure that, that when you are that young, if even at that, if if you're able to comprehend and really understand what the grief cycle is. Um, Would you agree with that? Or was it something with, as you, um, psychology and stuff and able to apply what you're learning with what you're feeling? um,
3: I don't know that the grief cycle exists as much for somebody who's born blind. Uh, I think it exists to some degree, but it's not as, not not as as prominent. Yeah. Not as prominent. I don't think, I mean, I think it becomes more prominent, again, when you get out into the world. I think there's there's still this, there's some semblance of frustration. I mean, I know every time we have to do an update to our system uh, that we use for electronic documentation, you know, somebody cited has to come down and we have to see if JAWS is accessible with it. And then we have to call in Nanopack to see if they can fix it. it. The small things are frustrations, but I don't think that, you know, I, I don't know that I would I would get my sight back. That was that was a question that, that was a struggle for me to answer for years. But, you know, I have finally come to accept, you know, I'm blind and I'm happy with that. Yeah. Because, you know, I feel that as a therapist, I'm a better therapist as a blind therapist.
7: Right. Okay. That was Debbie, I think. We have um, Jane.
5: Okay. Um, <clears throat> thank you. I'm so sorry. Russell, I um, thought perhaps... We uh, this morning we had a session that I thought that you might have enjoyed hearing if you have not been on with us all day, um, and this particular session was from Envision and, and it was about um, identifying medications that you that you take and and how you can obtain those um, scripts. Uh, my question really is is this: We are in the process of Uh, We're going to compile a list of all of the speakers um, for the the benefits of some of our members. And I'm wondering if you might wish for us to send you.
3: Well, it's a yes uh, for that. And, (laughs) and,
2: And Russell, as well, can we put you on that list? Um, for anyone to be able to get in touch with you for any additional information or to um, ask you any additional questions,
3: I
1: sure
2: thing. Okay, because I have your phone number and email. That's good. And the one thing, Absolutely. this is Elaine, and the one thing, um, the one thing I've noticed. And I think um, why we compiled this panel is to recognize that when we are working with individuals to find employment and to get them employed, we do get individuals at all um, different levels in their adjustment to blindness. And a lot of times when they come on board with our agency is Um, they still people think well they're ready to go they're ready to jump in and get a job and or get the training for that job and not realizing exactly where they are in their own mental health their own adjustment and it does take this whole village to help an individual
3: So I want to go back to something that I do with my addicts. Um, You know, I encourage them, my clients, I shouldn't say addicts, I should say clients, uh, apologies. I encourage them, you know, hey, when you're, when you guys are in recovery, you get out of here and you go to your sober living house or transitional living, you know, you got to kind of humble yourself and take that first job. You know, even if it's a, if it's a bottom of the barrel job, you know, you got to kind of work your way up. And I, I think the same thing applies I think that there are some, you know, some people that might be, you know, they they might say, well, I'm too good for that job or whatever. But, you know, sometimes you got to realize, you know, you got to start somewhere.
2: You do. And I remember a client that I was working with and she said, I will not accept And This remind you, it's in the old days. I won't. She said, I will not accept a job that does not pay me a thousand dollars a month. And I was sitting there as a beginning rehab teacher, making like two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Now I was making more than that, five hundred a month. Thinking, wow, yeah, wouldn't it be nice for all of us to jump into positions like that? So it's it's setting our goals and making them realistic.
5: What I was trying to say, Russell, earlier was, um, did could we send you an email? or a, a braille copy of that resource list that we're compiling of all the different speakers. Of course. Okay. Elaine, did you say you have Russ's contact information? I do. Uh-huh. Okay. Good deal. I think we'd just all like to adopt you Russ. I think <laughs> I think we would. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to help you. <laughs> and he's giving me a lot
2: of reading material.
6: Yes. I can't wait to, uh, I hope this meeting's recorded so we can review some of his suggestions.
9: And Russell, I'd like to. you, I think we someday, need to do a podcast with him. Oh, that really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and
2: someday I, 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 would like for you if you could come on tomorrow Saturday. I'd like for you to be able to listen to Mark Rycer.
1: I can try.
2: Yeah.
1: It's nine thirty in the morning. You can just get you if you have an Alexa. You can just have Alexa play OCB. A C B i know. play acb media media eight, and and it'll be me shall i ask you which one you say eight
2: and he'll be on that
1: yeah all right well i we um i think we've come to the point where we can wrap up uh we've done a lot of talking and a lot of good wrap up uh kind of things
2: we might want to
4: know if uh, Christy or Brad have any last last statements to make. Just that we're really proud of you, Russell, and glad that you have gotten to where you worked so hard to get to. Uh,
0: only that I, I appreciate being able to answer some questions about this. It it was uh, it was a great experience working with Russ, and um, and of course, you know, we're we're talking about it. A group, a group of people making things successful, but uh, Russ's personality and, and perseverance is definitely the most important component of all this.
2: Thank you, Russell. It's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Everyone, we, do, we yeah. do thank all of you for participating. I know you had many activities that you had to deal with to make this happen, uh, Russell, and I appreciate that. And probably Christy and Brad as well. And uh, so thank you so very, very much for um, helping with this. And I hope everyone got something out of it in that it's teamwork, folks. It's teamwork. It is. And think of that. And think of even having your team approaches get everybody involved. When it comes to working with those of us who are becoming clients uh, no matter what stage we enter the program in whether it's older blind whether it's going back to school or thinking of another job or what have you in that um, it takes all of you to assist us so and think of us as as Russell said think of us as human when we when we walk in the door I want you to see me first and think of my blindness later and I know when you're going in for services for the blind it's probably the opposite you walk in and you think of the blindness part first because that's what we're applying for but think of us as humans and I
3: I would say you know try to recognize our potential and again work with us where we are because we A lot of us, uh, I would say the majority of us, want to contribute to society.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, depending on which level we're coming in, sometimes if we are just losing our vision, we don't know what our potential is. Sometimes we need people like Russell or other individuals who have gone through it to help us identify with what can be done.
3: And and again, I would just say... Thank you very much. And uh, I would say accept us where we are and recognize what accomplishments we have made, what starts we have wow. made.
2: That is very good. And that is so true. Okay. Well, thank you guys very much. And now we're going to move into the portion that Vicki and I have of just doing the wrap-up. Um, kind of go over what the activities are for
9: this evening. On Tonight, we're going to join in on the ACB stream, correct, from 7 to 8, and then we will no. switch over no. to... No, no, you're no, you're not streamed at no. all tonight. It's all are at 7 tonight?
5: No, it's all in your OCB Zoom tonight.
9: 7 o'clock. Okay, so at 7 o'clock, then I'm going to open up my room. Or is Marilyn going to open it up on the ACB channel? I think it's... Because uh, I didn't publish that link uh, in the program. It's
6: in there. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you've got Trivia Night um, link at the bottom of the program.
9: Yes, for the, for starting at 8 o'clock. Oh, eight we have that intro oh. and stuff from 7 to uh, 8. Well... So now I'm confused. <laughs> if we can't
6: do the intro since most people probably don't know about it now since it's been in the program at eight o'clock we'll probably we could do a 10 minute thing
9: at eight o'clock okay and well i could just open up my room at seven and, and okay. go to that channel will that work
6: yeah how many people do you have on this call uh, uh listening to the meeting right now i mean uh are we, have we lost people? Do, does, are people hearing this? You have about 20 participants in Zoom.
9: About 27, I think, for trivia tonight. So so I think so what I'll do is I'll just plan on opening up the room a little before 7 o'clock and you guys can come in and do all your, your intro, welcome to the the conference and all that kind of stuff at that point. Will that work?
5: I'll go
6: ahead that would be and put out on the list just so okay. people that are, listening, are looking at the list can um, know. It's okay, Jay.
2: That would be good. That would take care of that. I'll do that. Okay. okay. That was that the only just question I had. So then um, as far as wrapping up for now, mm-hmm. sounds like a plan. Mm-hmm. So we will be back on with acb tomorrow morning at nine central. nine o'clock okay or a little bit before nine uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we'll be back as as we on we acb
5: media tomorrow morning at 10 eastern and that's nine uh, central yes, yes. Yep. Nine so, central. so okay um, well. and it will be right at that time you'll be able to get into zoom sooner but we will join the radio at at 10 eastern
2: nine central. Uh, okay well, we will be there early Absolutely. Thank you you so much. It ran quite smooth today. Yes,
5: it did. (laughs)